Welcome to the eight essential steps to attracting, leading, and keeping a top performance team for the PGA Canada professional. Donald Cooper has helped thousands of companies throughout the world attract, lead, and keep a top performing team. His insights into how to attract, lead, and keep a top performing team will inform you, challenge you, disturb you, and inspire you. Hi, I'm Donald Cooper. Welcome to Winning the Talent Wars. Eight Essential Steps to Attracting, Leading, and Keeping a Top-Performing Team. You know, lots of us believe that the proposition of finding and keeping great people is a relatively new problem. The fact is, it's always been a challenge for businesses. In fact, in 1853, the Greenman Brothers Shipyard in Mystic, Connecticut competed with seven other shipbuilding yards for the best staff, the best sailmakers, the best ships, carpenters, all the skilled trades required to build wooden ships in that day. So what did Greenman Brothers do to be the employer of choice, to attract and keep the very best trades in 1853? They did a few specific things. They built employee housing. They created a farm to feed the staff. They operated a general store and they built a church for their souls. So the fact is that attracting, leading, retaining an effective team has always been a challenge and has always required you to be an extraordinary employer. So today we're going to talk about eight steps, eight essential steps to attracting, leading, and keeping a top performing team. And step number one, in spite of what anyone will tell you, step number one is to be clear about the value and experience, the customer value and experience that you're committed to deliver and what you're committed to become. Clarity is step number one in attracting, leading, and keeping a top performing team. In fact, clarity is the first step in everything that you do as a business owner leader or manager. You see, we hire people to help us do something. And if we're not absolutely clear about what it is that we're committed to do, we don't know what kind of help we need. So our first job is clarity. Clarity about five specific things, in fact. Clarity first about the customer value and experience that we commit to deliver. What do you commit to deliver? Value and experiences that will grab your target customers, grab them by the hearts, the minds, and the wallets, attract them, keep them. You cannot attract and keep customers until you attract and keep a top performing team. So clarity number one, what's the customer value and experience that we commit to deliver? Clarity number two, what do we commit to become? What will this golf club, golf course, be like in three to five years? Number three, how will we get to that extraordinary future? Number four clarity is, what's the extraordinary bottom line that we commit to generate? And number five, how do we commit to behave along the way? What are our values, our ethics, our standards, our culture? So our first step is clarity. You can't hire people to help you do something if you're not clear 
about what you commit to do. Step number two is to take ownership of the problem. This, this is a huge challenge in many businesses because clients all over the world, and I work in 40 different industries around the world, and clients keep telling me that you just can't get good help anymore, can't get good people anymore. Well, the truth is, the reality is, that the best people have to work for somebody, it's just that you have to deserve them. And so what are you doing to be an employer that deserves the best people? You need to take ownership of the problem, stop blaming God for making people differently, and fix your business to be the kind of business, the kind of golf course, golf club, that the best people want to work for. And you do that by answering two questions. Now this little exercise will take you two pieces of paper and 40 minutes of your time. First 20 minutes, first piece of paper, sit down with some of the best minds and hearts in your business and answer this question. What kind of business, what kind of golf course, golf club, would the best people want to work for? How would they hire? How would they train? How would they pay? How would they thank, grow, mentor, celebrate? One piece of paper, 20 minutes. Describe the kind of golf course or golf club that the best people in your market would want to work for. Second 20 minutes, second piece of paper. Sit down and describe specifically what you must get off your bum and do to become the kind of golf course or golf club that you just described on page number one. So step number one is to, is, is, is to be clear about what you need to become, and step number two is about how you're going to do that. And, and just to give you a little bit of help, there are thousands of surveys on what good people, extraordinary people, want in the job. Thousands of surveys. And I've read hundreds of them, and I'll save you the time. Here on one slide is the top list of seven things that good people want. Not average people, not sloths, this is what the best people want. Number one, a challenging job with an opportunity to grow. More and more people are talking about meaningful work. Number two, clear, honest, and consistent communication. How would you rate your business and yourself as a owner, leader, or manager on that scale of one to 10 on clear, honest, and consistent communication? Number three, a positive, uplifting environment with values that good people can be proud of. Are people proud to work for you? Are they proud of what you stand for, what your course, what your club stands for? Number four, recognition of performance. A thank you every day. Number five is money. That's interesting. Number five is money on most people's list. It's not number one. As employers, we think it's number one. And good people, when they do these, these surveys, answer these surveys about what they want, it's almost never number one. Number six thing that good people want is a benefit menu and pension participation. Now, I know that many of your employees are part-time and seasonal, and, 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 and a pension participation is, is not an issue. There are young people often, and it's, it's not on their, on their radar. But for your long-term, for your, your full-time employees, benefit menu and pension participation is key, very important. Number seven, work-life balance. So there are the top seven from all the surveys that I've studied. Now, for various of your people, 
the order of these, the order of importance of these, will be different. But those are the top seven. And, the, and then what about those young people? So many employers say to me, young people today are different. Well, yes, they are. And, and they're different in a number of ways. First of all, they're smarter and better be informed. They just are. They know more. And whatever they don't know, they can find it on Google. Number two, they can spot BS a mile away. Their BS detector is finely tuned. Number three, they know they have career choices. Good people always have career choices, and young people are very much aware of that. Number four way that young people are different is collaboration is the key word for them. They want to collaborate with their peers. They want to collaborate with you as their boss. They don't want to be told, just do it and shut up. That might have worked when you and I were younger, but it doesn't work with today's young people. Number five, they also want to know why. You just can't say jump and they say, how high? They want to know why. And when you tell them why, you engage them at a whole different level. Number six, they feel entitled. Oh, you've all noticed that. Young people today feel entitled. And why is that? Because we've raised them that way. I used to run uh, the mile and two mile in track and field as a young guy. And, and at field day, at the end of the school year, we had a field day. And, and we competed. And if, if you came first, second, or third in whatever event, you got a ribbon. And if you didn't come first, second, or third, you didn't get a damn ribbon. And the ribbons were all different colors for first, second, and third. Nowadays, our young people, they get a ribbon for participating. They get a ribbon for showing up. Didn't have to run, didn't have to win, didn't have to do a darn thing. And that is how we've raised them. And that's why they feel entitled. It's our fault, not their fault. Now, here's a little interesting statistic. And that is that today's young people will change jobs over the period of their career. They'll change jobs 19 times on average and complete careers three times. The old start with one company and die with that company simply doesn't work anymore. So they want to be engaged. They, they want to know why. They want to be involved. And they're smarter and, and, and they're, they're capable of doing that. They're capable of helping you a lot more than you think if you will just listen to them. So the next question is, how do we make jobs more engaging for young people and for older people? And, and, and how do we make people more productive? Well, a great example of this, I had a client, have a client still in Australia, uh, Beacon Lighting. Beacon Lighting, they are in the retail lighting fixture business. They have 76 stores across Australia. Uh, they were voted Australia's business of the year for the state of Victoria in which their head office is located. And they're very successful, but they weren't always as good as they are today. In fact, they had huge turnover in their lighting stores. They hired uh, primarily women to work in those stores and to manage those stores. And the brighter the people were, the faster they turned over because the job was boring. So what we figured out is how to make the jobs more engaging, how to give them more to do, more, make them more productive, and we cut turnover to almost zero. So instead of having people 
from head office go from store to store and tell them how to do merchandising, how to do housekeeping. They actually took each of the salespeople in each location and made them in charge. One person was in charge of each department. So it could have been dining room and living room lighting, bedroom and bathroom lighting, kitchen and home office lighting, outdoor and landscape lighting. They took each of the employees in each store and instead of being a salesperson supported by people who just dropped in every once in a while at great expense from head office, they made each of those people in the store, not just salespeople, but managers of one of the specific departments to be in charge of merchandising, of housekeeping, of the in-stock position and training the rest of the sales team. And they reduced staff turnover improved productivity and reduced overhead tremendously by making jobs more engaging and making people more productive. What might that look like at your golf course or golf club? So there we have our first two steps. Number one is clarity about what we commit to deliver, what we commit to become, how we're going to get there. And the second step is to take ownership of the problem. Step number three is to determine what specific skills, qualities, experience are required to be successful in each position in your business. And this reminds me of a great story that my father told me years ago when I was a kid. When he was growing up as a young man in the east end of Toronto, they lived just off Danforth Avenue. And around the corner on Danforth was the local neighborhood theater. And in the depression, he was walking along the sidewalk in front of the theater and they had an A-frame sign out on the sidewalk saying, Danforth Theater, Usher Wanted, must be size 8. Oh, why was that? Well, it was because it was the Depression. They had one uniform, it was size 8, and if you weren't size 8, you didn't have the qualifications for the job. Now, that's illegal today and it should be. But it's, it's just not that simple anymore. Just put a sign out, must be size 8, and that's it. Finding the right people is like looking for a needle in a haystack. And people say, yeah, so how do we find those people? Well, it, it is difficult. Finding great staff, like looking for a needle in a haystack, it's difficult. But the fact is that it's a lot easier to find the needle if you know what a needle looks like. So this next step is about getting really clear about the kinds of qualities, skills, knowledge, personality, attitudes, experience, interests, physical requirements, and dedication required to do each job wonderfully at your course or your club and to get you where you're committed to be in three to five years. Are you hiring people who can just help you now or are you hiring people who have the ability to carry your business forward, to actually help it become what you're committed to become? And so we're looking for talent. We're not looking for bodies. I have so many business owners say to me when I, when I say, well, how's your staffing going? And they say, well, Donald, I'm, I, I'm down three bodies. I say alive or dead, they come two ways. So the question is, are you looking for talent or are you looking for bodies? Because the truth is, we tend to find what we're looking for. And if you're looking for bodies, you'll just find bodies. And anybody will do. And if you're looking for talent, you'll find talent. And one of my favorite stories about that is the pineapple lady. 
Sobeys opened a new grocery store close to where we live uh, here in Toronto a couple of years ago, and my wife went over in the first week to check it out, see what it was all about. So she walked in the front door, and right there, the produce department, there was a huge mound of golden, juicy, delicious, genetically modified pineapples. And standing beside the pineapple display was a lady, I call her the pineapple lady. And she had a tray there with samples of pineapple cut up with little toothpicks in them, uh, letting people sample the pineapple. And my wife tried the pineapple. She said, this is fabulous. My husband would love it. And she went over to the display of pineapples, the pyramid of pineapples, and she picked one and she started giving it a little squeeze. And she said to the pineapple lady, how do you know when you have a good one? And the pineapple lady, being the right person for the job, said, oh, honey, pineapples are just like men. You never know if you have a good one until you get them home. So my wife bought two pineapples because you, you, you can't be too careful. Now, the pineapple lady knew the technical answer, but she knew the joyful answer. She had the personality for the job, the right attitude for the job. She wasn't standing there with her samples saying, I don't suppose you want to try some pineapple, do you? She was joyful. She had the personality. She was outgoing. She knew how to engage customers. She was the right person for the job. And so the question is, are you looking for people who have the personality you need, the skills you need, the experience that you need? Step number four, where do we find people with these qualities? And as simple as it may sound, the people that you need to serve your customers and members and, and, and grow your business, those people are one of two places. They're either working for you right now or they're somewhere else. They're here or they're there. So first, let's look inside your business. Does your existing staff have what it takes to deliver your customer commitments, to achieve your profit commitment, to help us become our vision, and to strengthen our culture? That's the real question. And if not, is it a training and communication problem, or is it a raw material problem? It, and you know what I mean by raw material problem, that with some of your team members, no matter how you train them, no matter how you communicate with them, they are simply the wrong raw material. They simply don't have what it takes. They were not wired by God at birth and committed throughout their life journey to do what you need doing. In fact, a really interesting way to look at it is that every person on your team is either part of your value or part of your problem. And how many of you right now realize you have a few people on your team who are actually part of your problem? And, and the solution is pretty straightforward. You make a list of the people that you need to deal with, the people who are in some way part of your problem. You make a list of them, and every person on that list falls into one of two categories, rescuable or not rescuable. And if they're rescuable, for Pete's sake, rescue them. Do the work to, you, to, to, to fix them, to, to get them on board, to get them with the program, because you've, you've invested a lot of money in them already. But if they are not rescuable, then simply invite them to make an alternate career decision. You know, the people who, the people who quit 
and leave. They're not the real problem. The, the problem is the people who quit and stay. And failure to deal with non-performance is one of the biggest challenges in every business. So for every mediocre employee you have, ask these five simple questions. Who hired them? Who trained them? Who coaches them? Who supervises them? And who allows them to stay? It's not their fault if they're not performing. Either they weren't trained, or they never should have been hired in the first place, or they're just not cutting it, and you're not dealing with non-performance. Now, we have a bonus article for you. It's available uh, as a download uh, with this program. Uh, and the handout, there will be, uh, there's a, a, a handout, total complete handout for this program. And my bonus article on 12 reasons for staff not performing and whose fault are they. I urge you to download that and study it. It will amaze you. The reality is that 10 of the 12 reasons for our staff not performing are our fault, not theirs. So now we've looked inside at our, at our talent pool. Let's look outside. Where are the people that you need working or going to school right now? Looking on the outside, these are the six questions that you need to ask. Where are the, the people, the talent that you need working or going to school right now? And how can you search those people out? How could you, for example, uh, if, if they're in a school right now, how could you build a relationship with those schools, with the assistant principal, and maybe speak at a career day at that school? How could you be known in your community for the students who are the top performers who you might want to hire? Number two, get your existing staff to help. Good people know other good people. Give them a, a financial reward. If you bring us a great staff member, a great team member, and they're still with us in six months, doing a great job, we'll give you $500 or whatever it is that you can, you can budget to thank people for finding other good people. And then what about former employees? Some companies have a policy that once you leave us, we're never allowing you to come back. You're, you're, you're no good. But the reality is that, that often returning former employees are better the second time around. And then there's the traditional help wanted ads in the, in the local paper or on the internet. Are you using that appropriately? Number five, this is an interesting one. Are age or gender biases hurting your search for good people? Are there certain jobs that you think that only a man should do or could do? And you're just wrong about that. You're, you're just so far in the past, it's not even funny. Or age biases. How many of you are, are, are actively seeking out what I call active seniors? I'm an active senior. I, I, I'm not over the hill. And so are age or gender biases hurting your search? And then number six, are you always in recruitment mode? When you're out there being a customer in your own life and you encounter someone who's absolutely amazing. Do you lean in and say, you're amazing? You know, their employer has probably never told them that. You've got their attention right away. You're amazing. And, and you slip out your business card and you say, I don't know if you're happy here or not, but if you're ever thinking of a career move, I'd love you to give me a call. Are you always in recruitment mode? Here's a, here's a single dad. 
He's in recruitment mode. Look at that, the back of the family minivan. There's a dad, no, no uh, wife and mother, uh, three kids and a dog. Position open. Are you always in recruitment mode? Now, step number five, getting the interview right. Nobody loves interviewing new job candidates. You don't get up in the morning and say, I can hardly wait to get to work and do a bunch of interviews. So what we tend to do, because we're not comfortable in the interview situation, is we try as quickly as possible in the interview to find something that we have in common with the person that we're interviewing. And since we both love fishing, we talk about fishing for 30 minutes and we bond. And then I offer you a job because I really like you because you like fishing too, but probably know nothing about the golf business or the service business. So the way to overcome that is to create a script of 15 or so specific questions to find out if candidates have the talent, experience, and attitudes that you need. Write a script. Interview by script. Disney does that have been doing it since they started. It works for them, it'll work for you. And then ask open-ended questions. Questions like, tell me about a time that something happened and then just listen. Or how did you handle that situation? How did it turn out? How would you do it differently? Ask open-ended questions and then listen. And then another thing is talks cheap. Can they actually do it? We've all interviewed people who were a great interview, but who turned out to be a really lousy employee. Just, they're just good talkers. So how could you set up for, for each aspect of your business, on the hospitality side, on the golf side, whatever, how could you test candidates? How could you set up little tests to pretty quickly find out before you hire them if they actually can do what you hire them to do? Create a few key job scenarios. And then always check two or three references. Briefly, Contact the, 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 the reference and briefly describe the position. Ask specific questions to find out if the candidate has the qualities you need and what their specific shortcomings were. Or simply ask if, if that person would rehire that candidate. And, and if they wouldn't, what would their concerns be? But always check references. Step number six of our eight steps is the, once you've hired them, is the, the introduction to your business, the training and the ongoing communication. How many of you can remember your first day or first week at a new job? It was a long day. It was a long week. Did I, did I choose the right employer? Am I fitting in here? Is, was this a good move for me? It's a long day or a long week. So how can you get people on board and make them feel welcome? If someone's starting, to work on, on Monday. Does a, a little memo go out to the rest of the team on Thursday, advising them that so-and-so person will be starting with us on Monday and a little bit about them, their name, and a little bit about who they are as people, what they're going to be doing as a team member. And then ask everyone on the, the final line of the, of the little bulletin, please join us in welcoming Mary or Bob or Tom or Sally or whatever uh, on Monday when they arrive. Uh, how do you make people feel immediately welcome and comfortable? And then what's your, what's your onboarding program look like? What's your program to get them up to speed as quickly as possible? And I have a few suggestions here because clients say to me all the time, Donald, how do we, how do we create pride and commitment? How do we get people to really understand what we're all about and to, to get with that program? And, and, uh, and it's very simple. Number one, teach your history. 
You, you may have been around a long time and you know the history. They're just starting. They don't know the history. They don't know about all the wonderful things we've, we've done and the awards we've won and how we've made a difference in people's lives and how many of our staff have gone on to do wonderful and important things in life. And this can be an important first step for you too. And, 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 and so most companies, most golf courses, or any kind of business, they don't teach their history. Teach your history. And then communicate your vision. Here's what we're all about. Here's where, here's where we commit to be. Share your results. You don't have to show them financial statements, but just let people know how we're doing. Good people want to know that they make a difference. And one of the ways that we measure whether we're making a difference or not is whether the business that we're working for is successful. So share your results. Number four, live by values that good people can be proud of. You're never going to engage and create pride in people if you don't live by values that they can be proud of. Create a career path for your best people. And number six, celebrate and reward success and deal with non-performance. So those are six tips to create pride and, and, and commitment. And, and, and what about the whole training, mentoring, developing? You, see, you can't grow your business without growing your people. And you cannot grow your business without growing yourself. Lots of business owners say, well, well, my staff all need training. They all need to grow and develop. But I'm a finished, fine piece of work just the way I am. But the reality is we all need to grow. We all need to develop, including yourself. And people say to me, well, what happens if I train people and they, and they leave? The real question is, well, what happens if you don't train them and they stay? There's an interesting survey that shows that 70% of employees interviewed believe that they don't have the skills or the training to do the job well that they've been given. So we give them a job and we don't give them the skills or the training to do it well. What are we communicating? We're communicating that we don't care if you do it well. And if we don't care, why should they? And then, what about ongoing communication? One of my favorite restaurants in Toronto some years ago was the fine dining room at Bristol Place Hotel by the Toronto airport. And uh, Jack was the major D at Bristol Place Hotel dining room. And Jack had been there for about 25 years. And many of, of his dining room staff had been with him for the whole time. So this is a team of professionals with tons of experience. But what did they still do every evening before they opened the doors? They had a staff meeting to do five specific things. Jack talked about things that he noticed they did particularly well last night, and he thanked them. Thank yous all around for things they did well. Number two, he saw, even after 25 years, things they could still improve. And he talked about those things and how they could be improved. He then talked about conferences that are going to be in the hotel that day. Because some of the people from those conferences could come into that dining room for dinner. And if the serving staff knew about those conferences and what industry they were in, they could have conversations with the customers, the diners, that would add emotional value to the dinner. So that's customer knowledge. Number five was product knowledge. Because in every one of those staff meetings, every evening, the chef would come out with the plates, with the specials of the evening, the, the, the starters and the main courses of the evening. And he would describe the, the loin of venison with the port lingonberry reduction. And the staff would all get to try them as the chef described them. That's product knowledge. 
And every evening, even after 25 years, they had that meeting every day. How are you doing in meeting with your team, communicating with your team, listening to them, coaching them, encouraging them, thanking them, informing them? How are you doing on that one? You see, because it's important not just to go through communication, it's important to involve them. And this is a really important point, because if we communicate with our team, essentially we're telling them something and they're informed. But if we truly involve them, if we explain why we are doing it that way, and then we listen and we get their ideas, we not only inform them, but we honor them, we engage them, and they are committed. So, the way to go from informed employees to committed employees is to switch from communication to involvement. And, and, and communication, therefore, is a two-way street. By listening to our people, this is interesting, by listening to our people, two things happen. We learn from them, number one, and number two, we honor them. When we listen to them, we learn from them, and we honor them. And when we do not listen to our frontline people, two things also happen. We do not learn from them, and we dishonor them. And, uh, just a, a little thought. If we don't listen to our frontline staff, our customers will have to, and it won't be pretty. They have to talk to somebody. And if they can't talk to you, they'll talk to the customers, and often it will not be print pretty. So, so how, do we, how do we do that? How do we listen, not only every day, but how do we set up a more formal kind of a listening program? Perhaps uh, this idea can work for you. A monthly meeting, an idea fest. You create an idea fest every month, and each person on your team knows that they must come to that meeting with one idea to make the business better, the course, the club better, to serve customers better, to operate more efficiently, more effectively. It's just it's better in some way. And everybody comes with one idea, everybody states their idea, and then the whole team votes on whose idea wins the 50 bucks. So you might get 15, 20 great ideas to move the business forward, make the customer experience better, and it's cost you just 50 bucks. This idea has worked tremendously for a lot of our clients. Step number seven, challenge and empower your staff and make them accountable. Hire great people. Train them and communicate with them. Support, encourage, and empower them. Give them the tools they need to do the job and then let them do their job. Are you challenging your team? One of my favorite stories on this subject is Holland American Lines, uh, one of the world's oldest and best cruise lines. On one of their ships, the Volendam, the captain challenged the staff to improve their arriving guests' first cruise day experience. Now, if you've ever done a cruise, you know that you get on the ship sometime in the afternoon, and by the time the staff loads all the luggage on and gets the luggage moved to everybody's uh, cabin, and you actually then have access to your cabin, and you can unpack, it's very, very late in the afternoon, and much of the first day experience is missed. So the captain challenged the team. How can we do this better? How can we improve the guest experience? So they, they had a conversation, a meeting with the staff, they reassigned tasks, they improved process, uh, they were able to get all cabins ready for occupancy by 11.30 in the morning. This is unheard of in the cruise industry. Everyone said it couldn't be done, but they did it, 
and it absolutely transformed the customer experience. So what does that example look like at your course or club? And then how do we hold people accountable? You know, businesses don't die from a single shot to the head. They die slowly but surely from a thousand uncompleted tasks. So what's the solution? Every time you assign a task, ask this simple question. By when can we agree that this will be completed? And document the commitment, write it down, follow up. Follow up, follow up. The world is run by people who follow up. Then sometimes people may have been too optimistic. They may have thought they could get a project or a task done before they actually could. It might have been more complicated than they thought, or they, they might have had some other priority dropped on them. So when that happens, point number three here, reschedule dates when necessary but never create an orphan. An orphan is a project that you give someone to do that doesn't have a date stamp return ticket, doesn't have a commitment to be done. This is how we create accountability and urgency in any business. By when can we agree that this will be completed, document commitments and follow up, reschedule where necessary, don't create orphans, and then deal with non-performance. Step number eight, the final step of our eight steps, acknowledge, reward, and celebrate performance and create a career path for your best people. Recognize and reward top contributors, encourage and develop those with potential, and invite poor performers to move on. How do we do this? Recognize, reward, and celebrate is a good place to start. Pay more and expect more. Pay, pay more and expect less, that, that's going to kill you. But pay more and expect more. The best people never work for the least amount of money. They don't have to. They don't want to. It's an insult to ask them. So pay more and expect more. You'll be surprised at the results. And then create a culture of celebration. Cele celebrate birthdays. Celebrate anniversaries. Celebrate achievements. Look for any reason to celebrate. Number three, a thank you every day. People say, how big a deal is that? A thank you every day is a very big deal. Surveys indicate that the number one reason that people stop trying in any business is they believe they don't make a difference. And, and, and think about it, if you believe you didn't make a difference, you'd be a fool to keep trying. But if you got thanked every day, how could you ever believe that you don't make a difference? So a thank you every day, so important, so simple, and no charge, no cost to this at all. Number four, honor people. Business cards, awards, dinners, titles. Uh, we, we redid our kitchen recently, and a, the electrician sent me running to an electrical supply wholesale place several times to pick up uh, parts and, and fixtures. And, and, and I know nothing about electricity. And one of the, but the fourth time I went into this place, James, the counter clerk, was so, so helpful, so knowledgeable. He was fantastic. And I gave him the note from the electrician about what it is I was supposed to pick up. And James said, that's not enough information. I, I, need, I need more info. And I said, well, I'll call the electrician. I grabbed my phone, and the electrician didn't answer. And, and I said, James, I'll find out, and I'll call you back. I, I said, if you give me your business card, I'll, 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 I'll call you back as soon as I have the info. And James said, I, I don't have business cards. The man is in inside sales. He's been with the company for 15 years, and he doesn't have business cards. He said, I think 20 years on the job is the cutoff for business cards, and nobody makes it. So here's a guy who's been helping grow that business passionately, knowledgeably, caringly for 15 years, and he doesn't have business cards. And, and I thought, man, oh man, I said, James, what's your title? He said, I'm a counter clerk. Brace your heart. It's just 15 years, and he's a counter clerk. 
We need to honor our people. Thank them, reward them, pay them more, expect more. And then we need to reward them in lots of ways. Number five, number five tip here. There is a great book by a guy named Bob Nelson. There's nothing in this for me. He doesn't even know me. But there's this great book called A Thousand and One Ways to Reward Your Employees. It's 15 bucks. Buy the book. It's a thousand and one actual things that companies have done that have worked to reward, engage, and encourage employees. And, and create a career path for your best people. Ask them, sit down, sit down with all your good people and ask them where they'd like to be and what they'd like to be doing in three to five years and what they think that position or responsibility will be like. Now, many of your people are part-time people, seasonal people, temporary people, whatever. But for your key core of people, when's the last time you sat down and asked them where they'd like to be and what they'd like to be doing in three to five years and what they think that position or responsibility will look like? And, and Ask them what kind of training they think they'll, they'll need to, to do that job excellently when the time comes, and then create a step-by-step -step career path for those people. That's long-term key employee retention. Well, as we wind up, those are the eight steps. As we wind up, I'd like to make an offer to you for ongoing help. I publish a free monthly management e-newsletter. It's a management marketing and staff retention newsletter. It's about eight minutes, 10 minutes to read each month, no charge, and it goes out to about 30,000 clients and fans around the world every month. If you would like to sign up for that free monthly management e-newsletter, go to donaldcooper.com and just fill in the little form, sign up for the newsletter, and you will start receiving it immediately. Last slide. There is no finish line. This was the old Nike slogan. This was their original slogan until they switched to just do it. The process of attracting, engaging, coaching, mentoring, training, developing, encouraging your team is an ongoing process. And there is no finish line. Thank you.